This week on episode 106 of the Doxidaz podcast, we are diving deep into one more common infection we see during the winter, strep throat. I'm going to give you everything you need to distinguish this from other types of infections, when and why to get tested, and how antibiotics in this case are different from ear infections we talked about two weeks ago. We're going to get into all of it today on the Docs to Dads podcast. Hello and welcome to the Docs to Dads podcast, a health and wellness resource for any dad looking to actively engage with their health, the health of their children, and building a stronger, healthier community around their family. Each week, Dr. Scott, a board-certified pediatrician, will explore topics relevant to child health and how dads can be an active participant in their growth, development, and other issues that affect children and the whole family. Welcome back to the Docs to Dads podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Scott Grant, and today we are diving into a topic that many, many of us as parents and certainly every pediatrician in the universe has encountered several, several times, and that is what we call streptococcal pharyngitis, which is commonly known as strep throat. Uh, we're going to get into all the little details. How does it present? Who are the kids that are most at risk? Uh, what should you do about it? We're going to talk about all of that today. This is going to be pretty similar to the episode we did two weeks ago about ear infections. So if you missed that episode, go back and check that one out, where I kind of talk a little bit about who needs antibiotics for their ear infection and who doesn't, uh, and how to make decisions about how to manage uh, that particular condition. Uh, strep throat is one of those things that we see fairly frequently. I diagnose it several times a week in, in clinic. Uh, and so it's just one of those common infections that I, I like parents to know a little bit about. Uh, especially since there's some really important details about uh, needing to treat strep throat with antibiotics. So we're going to get into all of that today. But first, if you would take a moment to uh, like or follow the podcast on your podcast app that you're listening to us right now, that would be a big help to us. Or if you know somebody that you think would benefit from this type of content, uh, just share this episode directly uh, with them. Any of these things help us grow the show and reach more and more dads uh, and more families to try to just help them have the health information that they need to make decisions about their child's health and help them grow and develop into strong and healthy families. So strep throat is a bacterial infection that's caused by bacteria that's called group A strep. Um, and so this strep is related in some ways, or at least has some similar properties to the streptococcal pneumonia, uh, which is the bacteria I talked about in the ear infection episode that is one of the most common causes of ear infections, but it is different in terms of the way that it uh, breaks down on some of the culture plates, and that's how we distinguish it, uh, and that's why it's called group A strep, and it's important because it can cause a lot of long-term problems if we don't treat it uh, appropriately, which we're going to talk about today in this episode. The kids who are at most risk for strep throat are generally kids above age five. Um, so usually sort of classically it's described as like age five to 15. Most of the time we don't even bother testing kids less than two unless there's some really prominent reason why we think we should, you know, because almost never those kids get traditional strep throat. 
So unless there's a known contact in the home and they're showing sort of classic symptoms or have something on exam that looks classic for uh, strep, which almost never happens, um, we usually won't even take the time to, to test them because it's just that rare. The other thing to know on the front end about strep throat is that it's pretty highly contagious. So it's usually spread through indirect or direct contact with the the throat and the respiratory droplets. So that can be through like, you know, especially in kids this age, like, you know, they're they're kissing their parents and it can pass that way or or those kinds of things. Or more commonly you're talking about things like sharing a drink. You know, they're sucking on the same straw, they're using the same spoon, those kinds of things uh, that are causing it to to pass around. And so it can be uh, very contagious. And so it's very common. Actually, it feels like in the last couple of weeks, I've seen a couple of like pairs of siblings that have come in together uh, who both have, have strep throat. And so it's very contagious. And so you want to be uh, really careful with that until they get onto antibiotics. The good news is the contagiousness drops pretty quickly once you get them on uh, antibiotics. So usually, you know, 12 hours after the first dose of antibiotics are considered to be significantly less contagious. Uh, although you probably want to avoid, you know, sharing straws and toothbrushes and those kinds of things uh, for at least a week or so anyway, just to be on the safe side. But usually that contagiousness drops down quite a bit. So when should you as a parent be worried about strep throat specifically? Uh, so as you might guess, the primary symptoms of strep throat happen in the back of the throat um, or in the back of the mouth at the, at the top of the throat. And typically this is quite painful for the child to the point where they will describe that their throat hurts. It's dry, it's scratchy, it's painful when they swallow. It usually has tremendous impact on their ability to swallow, like eat and drink. Their appetite usually goes down pretty dramatically, less because they're not hungry. You know, like when we have other types of viral infections and colds and flus and those kinds of things, sometimes our appetite drops down just because we're not hungry, because we're not feeling good. And there's probably some role for that in strep throat as well. But a lot of times these kids will describe that they're hungry and they want to eat something, but it's just so painful that they are avoiding it. And so that's the one of the main things to that. You can definitely get fever alongside that uh, as well. In fact, it's a fairly common uh, presenting symptom to have some fevers along with this, that sore throat. And then the other thing that we'll look for is swollen tonsils and other kinds of uh, lymph nodes when we do our physical exam. I think the most important point that I like parents to understand about strep throat is actually has more to do with the symptoms that are not there. So usually in sort of a classic strep throat infection, you don't have a lot of those other virally symptoms. So you're not seeing a bunch of like runny nose, cough, congestion type symptoms alongside the sore throat. Uh, whereas there are certainly viral infections that can give what we call a pharyngitis, so that inflammation in the back of the throat that can cause pretty similar like sore throat, difficulty swallowing, all of those kinds of symptoms, but in the context of a lot of other uh, sort of virally looking symptoms. Uh, but usually strep throat is fairly isolated. In fact, in medical school, the way that we learned about strep throat was to learn the Centaur criteria. And there's actually four Centaur criteria that if you have these, your likelihood of having strep throat is pretty high. And so the first, um, as you might guess, is sore throat. 
The second is fever. The third is actually absence of cough. So you need to not have a cough to be sort of more likely to have strep throat. And then the last one is those swollen lymph nodes that we talked about. And so those are the Centaur criteria. And so if you have those four things, your likelihood of having strep throat is somewhere in the ballpark of 93%, I think, if I remember. Uh, that was many moons ago, but it's something uh, to that effect. And so those are the kids that we will almost certainly test for strep and, and in some cases might even treat um, empirically, depending on what your resources are. In most places, we have the ability to test for strep pretty easily. It's it's a fairly easy test to run. But those are the main criteria, and those are the that's what I see you know, in clinic and, and our MAs in our clinic actually know like if they come in and they don't have a cough and a runny nose and they're complaining of sore throat, like just go ahead and swab them for strep because that's going to be the most likely thing, especially since it's one of those things that we definitely will want to treat uh, if it comes back positive. And so that's why it's really important if you think your kid might have strep throat because they're meeting these criteria, they have the the bad sore throat with or without a fever, but they don't seem to have any other symptoms. Uh, you do want to try to get them in to your pediatrician's office and get them tested for strep. Uh, because if it's positive for strep, then you want to get them started on some antibiotics to treat that infection. And we'll talk uh, a bit more about that in just a moment. The testing for strep is generally pretty easy. You take a, a cotton swab and you just uh, wipe it on the back of the throat as close to the tonsils as you can. Some of you may have some slightly traumatic memories from going to the doctor's office yourself as kids or taking your kids to the, the doctor's office and having that swab go back there and, and gag kids. I try to be a little bit more of a sniper when I when I do this. And if kids can get their mouth open well enough, I can usually sort of paint along those tonsils pretty precisely uh, without gagging the kid. And so parents are frequently surprised at like how smoothly it can go. As long as the kid is cooperative, obviously younger kids have a much harder time with this. But for the teenagers, I usually tell them like, if you can get your mouth nice and open for me and I can get back there, I'm not going to gag you, I promise. And they don't believe me, but I can almost always pull it off. So in the ear infection episode, we talked quite a bit about how important it is to do some shared decision making related to do we really want to expose the kid to antibiotics to treat uh, ear infection when, you know, you're doing that primarily to avoid certain types of uh, complications that are exceedingly rare. And that's kind of where the difference between the American and European recommendations came from and those kinds of things. In this situation, there's a couple of reasons why it's pretty important to get kids who are strep positive treated with antibiotics. So the first is, as we discussed, strep throat is much more contagious to people around you than ear infections. Ear infections are almost universally not that contagious directly to one another. The virus that sort of starts the whole process, like we talked about in the ear infection episode, can create an environment where your ear tubes aren't draining well enough and can create ear infections. That virus is probably fairly contagious. And so the likelihood, if you get a virus that causes an ear infection, that that virus might create an environment for an ear infection to develop in somebody else's is pretty high, but the ear infection itself is not directly contagious in the same way that strep throat is. Strep throat is highly contagious. It gets passed around the family and around classrooms all the time, very frequently. It's going around a lot of schools. I actually just, we got a message not that long ago that it was going around one of my kids' classrooms at, at preschool. So 
like these things happen. That's kind of how it how it goes. Uh, and so starting to treat that as quickly as possible and recognizing these symptoms as early as possible will prevent how many people you've already spread it to by the point that you start the antibiotics and become less infectious. But the other more important reason why we want to uh, treat these is because there's some complications that can arise from strep throat, and most of them are preventable as long as we treat with antibiotics. Um, and so the first one I ta- want to talk about is the most direct. So you can move from having an infection of your tonsils in the back of the throat uh, with strep, which is part of strep throat. Um, you might call that tonsillitis instead of pharyngitis. And what can happen if you get recurrent infections or an infection that's not treated is that can turn into an abscess, what we call a peritonsillar abscess, or in more severe cases, what we call a retropharyngeal abscess, um, which is basically a big pus collection uh, inside the airway that can actually be very dangerous. It can uh, obstruct the airway, cause kids to have some difficulty with breathing. Uh, in these situations, you can notice that their voice has changed quite a bit because the, the airway has narrowed um, and they have kind of what we call a hot potato voice. So it kind of sounds like they just took a bite of something hot. That's one thing to notice. But if you treat with antibiotics, then in many cases, you're going to prevent it from developing into that abscess. The next big complication of strep throat that you should be aware of is uh, rheumatic fever. So rheumatic fever is a rare but serious inflammatory condition um, that can affect various parts of the body. It can affect the the joints and the heart and the skin and the brain, and we call it, uh, those are the the Jones criteria for rheumatic fever. Um, these are all the things you have to <laughs> memorize and, and look for uh, when you come learn about all these things in medical school. So it's bringing back a lot of uh, med school memories to put this episode together. And so you think about, this is a very serious condition that takes you know weeks of antibiotics to treat and can have some long-term complications, especially if it uh, gets to the point where it's affecting your heart. Um, and so what we know is that if you don't treat a strep throat infection or you don't treat it well enough, then you uh, are at much increased risk for developing rheumatic fever. And if we can promptly treat that strep infection with uh, antibiotics, then the likelihood of you developing rheumatic fever goes down very, very significantly to, to almost zero. And then the last one is kidney complication of a strep infection called post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis. Um, and so this is a kidney disease that can occur after um, different kinds of infections, but it's particularly common with uh, particular strains of the strep bacteria, including the one that's um, implicated in strep throat. And so what can happen is it usually causes some like inflammation in the kidney, usually a couple of weeks after the initial strep infection. So this can have some pretty big implications for your kidney. It can cause some uh, blood in the urine. It can cause your uh, blood pressure to get out of whack because your kidneys are affected by all this inflammation. Um, And in some cases can cause severe kidney damage uh, that can be, you know, lifelong. It can be sustaining. Um, And so usually it's a self-limited condition. Usually it goes away uh, after a while, but it can cause some long-term complications. Unfortunately, the data on whether antibiotic treatment of strep throat actually prevents this is not as strong as the data that 
uh, it prevents the other complications that we've talked about. Um, so it's it's a little more debated whether um, this can be prevented by treating strep infections, uh, but it's also a complication of strep throat that you should be aware of. The other common question that I get, similar to the, the ear infection conversation, is when should we go see a specialist? While most cases of strep throat, you come in, you get tested. If it's positive, you know, you uh, will get some antibiotics and you'll get better in a couple of days and then you're on your way. But if you're having recurrent episodes of strep infection um, or you have a strep infection that's particularly difficult to treat, uh, especially while you still have uh, tonsils, which certainly is a big risk factor for strep tonsillitis, or if you develop some of the complications like peritonsillar abscess, uh, you may be a good candidate for having your tonsils removed, which will significantly decrease your risk of developing this type of infection in the future. So as a general rule, I'll start having these conversations when kids have been diagnosed with two or three bouts of strep throat within a year or so. And usually I'll also try to assess uh, when they're not sick and their tonsils are not swollen, how big are their tonsils kind of when everything's going well, uh, and also assess whether there's a chance that those tonsils are causing a problem for in some other way, you know, like, is it causing them to have uh, what we call sleep disordered breathing? Or, you know, or do they snore really loudly while they're sleeping? Uh, do they seem to have any pauses in their breathing while they're sleeping that might improve or resolve completely by also removing the tonsils? So looking for other ways that these big tonsils might be causing a problem is another way that we can try to get kids into ENT who need to be seen to, to see if they need a surgery to have their tonsils removed. So if you have a kiddo who's had multiple bouts of strep throat, or if you have a kid who snores really loudly all night, every night, or has pauses in their breathing, this is not an episode about that. We might do an episode about that later. Um, but if you have a kid who falls into any of those categories, it might be worth having a conversation with your pediatrician about whether seeing an ENT would make sense. So that is basically everything that you need to know about streptococcal pharyngitis or streptococcal tonsillitis or strep throat, as we all call it. If your child is ever experiencing symptoms like fever and sore throat, but without the cough and the runny nose, sometimes parents will feel like that's actually a sign that it's a less severe infection because they don't have all those other symptoms. What I hope you'll take away from this episode most is that when you see that particular constellation of symptoms, that's, that's, that's actually something that does warrant going to your pediatrician's office and getting that test done so that you can find out, is this strep and can we get it treated to try to prevent, one, passing it along to other kids in your, in your child's class at school or other kids that might live in your home, uh, but also to prevent all of these infections for your own child um, because that can be a problem. So please, if you see this constellation of symptoms, tell them I follow this crazy cools pediatrician podcast. And he told me that if I ever saw fever and sore throat without everything else, I needed to get a strep test and they'll roll their eyes, um, but they'll do it and it'll probably be positive um, and you'll be well on your way. Uh, early detection and treatment of strep is good for so many reasons that we've outlined in the episode. Um, and so hopefully this will help you sort of identify those symptoms as early as possible um, and get your child the care they need as quickly as possible. I want to thank you as always for tuning in 
to the Docs to Dads podcast this week. I hope you uh, enjoyed it and learned something. If you did, I'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. Give us a follow or subscribe on your app as well. Or if nothing else, just pick out your favorite fellow dad and send this episode along to them because who knows if they might be experiencing something like this uh, in their house, especially this time of year. I know it's going around our community here in the Phoenix area quite a lot. It's probably going around your community as well. I want to thank you, especially today. There's a a different non-strep throat infection going around my house. Hopefully it's going to end with me, but I appreciate your uh, patience with my voice today as it sounds probably a little different than usual. And I want to say thanks as always to Phil Rabon for editing the show. If you're not already following us on social media, I'd encourage you to find me on LinkedIn or Instagram and connect with me there. If there's a topic that you want to hear an episode about, uh, something that you're interested in, uh, something you want to learn about. One thing I'm really excited about that's coming up soon is I've lined up some interviews with parents. One of my big goals for 2024 for the podcast is to get more parent perspective into the podcast. So I'm trying to line up some interviews with uh, parents and their experiences with uh, the healthcare industry and some different diagnoses that they um, have experience with that you might also be um, experiencing as well. And so I'm really, really excited to kind of get a different voice into the Docs to Dads podcast. We've mostly been hearing from me as a medical professional and my perspective as a dad uh, and some other medical professionals, but I'm trying to get uh, more of that parent perspective into the into the Docs to Dads podcast. And so I'm really excited for that coming up soon. So stay tuned for all of those great episodes. Uh, next week's episode is going to be an interview with a fellow pediatrician uh, and podcaster, my friend, Dr. Phil Boucher. We're going to talk about smartphones and social media and when should you do that for your kids? Uh, when are they ready? How do you know? All of those kinds of things. How should you introduce them? I just uh, recorded that interview yesterday. It was a ton of fun and it's going to be uh, a great episode for you. So look out for that. Until then, Remember that what you do as a dad matters. Keep building healthier dads, happier kids, and stronger communities. Thanks so much. The information included in this podcast and other Docs to Dads platforms is intended for your education and entertainment only. It is not intended as medical advice and should not replace a relationship with a primary care pediatrician or other provider who will give the most appropriate recommendations for your individual situation.